In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's very quiet. So welcome everyone to Trinity Cathedral. Welcome everyone to Trinity Cathedral. Yeah. If this is your first time with us, if this is the first time of your return, if you have been here for a short time, um, please know that you richly bless us with your presence because it gives us an opportunity to exercise who we are. It gives us an opportunity to exercise the Christian virtue of hospitality. You are most welcome here. No matter who you are, where you're from, what you believe, that truly is the hallmark of a cathedral community. You're most welcome because this is God's house. It is not our house. And the presence of visitors and guests, it is a blessing to us. And we offer this welcome in so many words every single Sunday, and not just because we are genuinely happy for newcomers and guests. This welcome is most definitely not part of a strategy or a scheme to get more people to come to church. Do we count people? Yes, we do, I'll be honest. I'm a little flummoxed by that sometimes. But having measurable goals are often a sign of healthy discipleship and evangelism. But at the end of the day, we offer welcome to friend and stranger alike because it's an essential part of our faith and our religion. Christians believe that hospitality is the beginning of miracles. And if you don't believe me or you think that this is some sort of creative interpretation of the Bible, take a look at this remarkable story we hear from the book of Genesis this morning. Abraham, he has every reason to ignore these three strange men who appear at his tent. He's 99 years old. He's just made a covenant with God, and God promises him and Sarah multitudes of descendants even though they are childless. Now, I often feel overwhelmed and distracted by what's going on in my life. Can you imagine how Abraham and Sarah must feel? And initially, it's let me bring you some water for your feet and, and maybe a little bread. But then it becomes the fatted calf from the herd, and it comes curds and milk to accompany that meal. And it's in the heat of the day when the guests arrive. Imagine, if you will, sitting in your air-conditioned homes, or maybe you have a home that doesn't have air conditioning, or, or maybe you're one of our guests that, that doesn't have a home. But imagine you are in your home, and you, you've, you've paused the Netflix or something for the moment. You've stopped watching your 90-day fiancé or your Stranger Things. And you look out the window, and there are these three really strange-looking men, and they are sweaty, and they are hot. It's a week ago. It's about 115 degrees outside. Can you imagine you would be so motivated as to jump up from your chair and welcome them in 
to your home? That's exactly what Abraham and Sarah do. And it's only by offering hospitality with their whole hearts, with everything they have, that they entertain these strange beings who will set the wheels turning on the miraculous beginning of a nation. Many lifetimes later, Jesus teaches his disciples about hospitality. And he sends them out among strangers and he instructs them to spread the word of God and spread God's love through acts of healing and fellowship and community and charity, giving of yourselves. And he instructs them to offer these things with no expectation of payment, no expectations at all, to just offer them. In other words, he's teaching them how to receive hospitality. At the same time, he's teaching us how to be hospitality. And he does this because he knows that hospitality is the starting point for miraculous work that God sets before us. We desperately need this message right now. We desperately need this message of hospitality right now because our country is in such deep crisis because of the wedges we have set before each other, denying the humanity of each other. And it is a tragedy that is seeping ever deeper and deeper into our culture. I need to speak the truth from my heart, and it is with no guile on my tongue. But I've been struggling mightily with what my role is in the conversations that are taking place in my circles. And I will tell you the truth, my circles are small. And right now the circle I speak of is the circle of Episcopal clergy. Conversations about race, immigration, elections, fairness, goodness. I'm not progressive. And I'm not conservative either. I've spent the majority of my life as a philosophical objectivist, following the ethical theory that moral good is objectively real and that moral precepts are objectively valid. To be perfectly honest with you, I feel a very strong responsibility in my role to serve God as that rare breed of clergy that is the centrist, And I can tell you, it's not a popular place to stand as an Episcopal clergy person. In fact, many would say that's not a stance at all. That is milk toast. That is vanilla. That is lukewarm. I'll tell you, I stand there anyway. I started my priestly ministry in a very small town in northwestern Pennsylvania. And my closest colleagues were Jeff Little, who was the pastor of First United Methodist Church, Randy Powell, who was the pastor of the First Baptist Church, and Randy's wife, Nicole, who was a staunch Roman Catholic. And everyone in town called us the God Squad, which is great because that was also our pub trivia name. We clobbered everyone but the teachers. 
Well, they remain constant reminders to me of what it means to stand with others with whom I've had very, very heated conversations about politics and heated conversations about religion, and yet we've worked so hard to remain in a very, very deep bond of love. And my friend Randy, he writes a regular blog, and he, he helped me this week to really put into words some of my struggles because, you know, I'm on social networks and I want to post about puppies and cheese and all those things I love, but I don't want other people to think I'm not hurting like the rest of the world, that I'm not attentive to the needs of God's people. But here's what he wrote. He said, it's become readily apparent that a significant number of Christians have decided that those who oppose them in a variety of settings that include church controversies, business, and politics ought to be treated as an other and defeated by nearly any means necessary. He continues, for too many of us, the ends justify the means because we have pridefully defined our chosen end as God's will. And while history has shown how dangerous this attitude can be, even when a nation is facing an existential threat, it can in no way be argued according to Scripture that this is the morally appropriate choice for an individual or group of Christians. We as Christians have been called to a higher standard. We've been charged with living as disciples of Jesus Christ and thus imitating our Savior in this world. He continues, to win a battle utilizing immoral means is to lose the war. Hear this and hear it well, God is the judge of the world, and it is better for us to lose morally than to try to win immorally. We've not been given a command to be winners. We've been given a command to be righteous. And in this world, they're not typically the same thing. Each time Christians choose to try to be winners rather than the righteous, they demonstrate that they really don't have sufficient faith in God's final victory, where everyone wins and love wins ultimately. And they taint the message of the gospel. Now, what that means to you in our political climate, I do not know. That's yours to figure out. And God willing, you will figure it out in community with all of us, asking each other, the hard questions, the tough questions, the religious questions, the political questions. I ran for the House of Representatives in the Commonwealth of Kentucky on the Libertarian ticket a lifetime ago, and that was the last time I dipped my toe in the murky waters of politics. Libertarians don't vote, by the way. <laughs> I can tell you that my role speaks to my sense of how Scripture defines hospitality my sense of where I am to be as one of your priests, and that place is that I hold firmly to the center and I hold deeply and dearly to God. That those who are extremes to whichever side and view, they're welcome to go, or they're welcome to push in, but only to a point, and that point is that we do not push each other out. That's the matter of hospitality to me. 
That's what it means. It's the most basic and easiest way to heal people. It's the easiest way to miracles. By offering unconditional welcome, we not only carry out God's mandate for welcome, we not only carry out God's mandate to love God and to love neighbor, but we open up a space for the Holy Spirit to do the work of healing in our midst. Because hospitality is the beginning of miracles. And we have the privilege, the honor, the responsibility of being gracious hosts, offering the light of welcome in a world that is a darkness of mistrust and division. And I'll tell you, we are blessed at Trinity to enjoy a climate of hospitality. I've experienced that myself. I've been in the diocese for five years, and from the moment I stepped in here as a diocesan priest, I felt the sweet, sweet spirit that is pervasive here. Sundays are filled with hugs and kisses and kind words and handshakes, and they are given out generously and freely. And if you haven't received one yet, we'll be at the back door today handing them out. Because the thing about hospitality is that it doesn't happen on its own. It takes effort. It takes dedication. It takes focus. And it takes an unswerving commitment to welcome every single person who enters God's house. And as welcoming as we are, we, we, we always have plenty of room to go further. And there's a sobering reality to this, to hospitality. The reality that it doesn't exist on its own. It has an opposite. It's called exclusion. You either offer hospitality or you exclude new people. There could be shades of difference between hospitality and exclusion, but at the end of the day, you either welcome someone or you exclude someone. And exclusion can happen <clears throat> in many different ways. Some of them are more subtle than others. Of course, there are big barriers. There are the literal ones. There are the metaphysical ones. And many churches signal as loudly as they can that a certain type of person isn't welcome in their midst. And they usually do it in ways that are so subtle that only that type of person gets it. You know, it wasn't that long ago that people of color visiting certain Episcopal churches for the first time would be invited by an usher. You know, there's a church right down the street. I think you'd really like it. And LGBTQ people brave enough to come to church? They've often received a cold greeting or a threatening message from the pulpit of even the most well-intended communities. Let's not lie to ourselves. That's within our own tradition still. But living out hospitality is a crucial element of the Christian life, and we're asked to practice it here at our cathedral and then take the lessons out into the world. Take them to our workplaces. Take them to our homes, welcoming guests and creating spaces and opportunities for connection and relationship and love to work. 
The Christian call to hospitality is hardly a burden. Rather, it's true joy. I began my adult life in the Episcopal Church as someone without a roof over my head that was invited by the chaplain to sleep on a sofa of St. Augustine's Chapel in Canterbury House at the University of Kentucky. And eventually a parishioner, his ex-wife, took me home with her and gave me a place to live until I got back on my feet. Just as an aside, the doors of that church were open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in a very urban setting. They stole our microwave, they stole our air conditioner, they dented some of our silver, and our lesson wasn't to lock the door, it was to put our things away and bolt them down if we loved them. But my life is so much richer and fuller because of the countless people I have met and who have become a part of my life because I've had the privilege to participate in hospitality. So as the summer continues, as the elections continue, as the problems of the border continue, and as we continue our conversations about who we are and whose we are and what that means to how we live our lives, Think for a moment about the strangers that you have welcomed into your life. Because how we welcome, how we bless, how we thank, they're important. Because the blessings have come to us and the miraculous is happening. Think about how different the world would be if we all welcomed one another without condition. And think about how we can push forward the boundaries of hospitality here in our beloved cathedral. Because hospitality is the beginning of miracles. Let us welcome in those blessings. Amen.